Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church, and happy Father's Day to all of our dads watching out there. Uh, We so value you, honor you, and appreciate you today. I hope your families are spoiling you rotten today. Uh, One of the joys of my life is being Boston and Avia's dad. Um, It's just such an enormous blessing um, for uh, to have the title of daddy. And it's something that I take very, very seriously. And um, I'm so grateful for the dad I had growing up. Uh, Dad, happy Father's Day. I hope you're watching. You better be watching. Uh, Happy Father's Day. I love you so much. And I've learned so much from you. Um, you've shown me and modeled to me uh, humility, and uh, uh, one of the one of the things you you've shown me and modeled to me is just a love for God's word. And so, thank you for that, Dad. Uh, you've imparted so many um, things in my life that I carry with me as I am a father of two now. And so, Dad, Happy Father's Day. I love you. Um, I am diverting from our sermon series as for me and my house, and uh, I'm going to pick that back up next week. Um, but the title of my message today is The Prodigal God, and my subtitle is The Elder Brother Syndrome. Uh, this message was inspired by Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. If you have not had an opportunity to read it, I highly, highly recommend it. It's a great book. Uh, some of you may know this story by a different name. It's usually referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, There are three main characters in the story, the father, the younger brother, and the older brother. Uh, How many of you are the eldest in your family? Raise your hand. I know I can't see you, but how about the youngest? Do I have any middle children watching out there? You're the ones with all the problems. Just kidding. Uh, If you are not an only child, Uh, you may understand the dynamics uh, to a degree of a sibling rivalry. Uh, I have one younger sister that's three years younger than me, and uh, my umama, which is grandma in Telugu, which is uh, uh, the dialect uh, my parents speak in, uh, she lived with us growing up until she passed away uh, when I was 13 years old, and I loved my umama. She was the best. Uh, well, I happen to be my umama's favorite, and I know it had to bother my sister, right? Because we would get into fights, and 99% of the time, I know my umama's watching from heaven. She's hearing me admit this, confess this. But 99% of the time, I would initiate and I would agitate my sister, and I would irritate my sister, and uh, she would get upset with me, and we would get in a fight, and then she would go tell my grandma, who was watching me, watching us. And most of the time, my grandma would always get after my sister. And uh, she, it, you know, it was, it just came with the territory of, of being her favorite. I, I, there, I didn't do anything to deserve it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and you know, my sister and I, we, we don't have a sibling rivalry. We never did. But I know this had to bother her at least a, a little bit. Um, in the story I'm going to share today with you, Uh, you're going to see some major sibling rivalry rise up. Um, In this story, the younger son goes to his father 
and asks for his inheritance early. In Jewish culture, you would receive your inheritance after your father died in the form of of livestock and land. So the father literally had to liquidate a third of his land and livestock in order to give his son what he was asking for. This is a big deal. What you need to understand is that in that culture, for the younger son to want his inheritance while his father was alive was the same as wishing his father were dead. The father agreed to do as the son wished. So the son goes out and wastes his inheritance on partying, drugs, and prostitutes. Uh, And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 15 and verse 14. After he had spent everything, his entire father's inheritance, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Once this younger brother realizes that it would be better to be one of his father's servants than what he was currently doing, he set back to go back to his father's house. He knew he had sinned against his father. He knew he had wished him dead. He knew that he had messed up big time by squandering his inheritance. That's why he didn't even consider coming back as his son. He said, I'll go as a servant. I don't even deserve to be a son in my father's house, so I'll just go and see if I can serve and work. Continuing on in the story, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The word prodigal is often characterized as someone that has backslidden and fallen away from their faith. The black sheep of the family. Uh, party animal, wild child, cray-cray. Back in the 90s, we would call them baby kids. Uh, the word prodigal actually means lavish, reckless, extravagant, a luxurious spender. We always associate the word prodigal with the younger brother, but that word actually fits in very well with the father in this story as well. The father lavishly, recklessly, extravagantly gave the son his inheritance when he wanted it. Even though he knew his son was just going to go out and spend all of it on partying and drugs and and women and and all of these things, he was just going to waste his money. His father still gave him his inheritance when he asked. God has given us a free will. And if we choose to live a life full of sin, he'll allow us to do so. If we choose to live a life of inactivity to his purposes, He will allow us to do so. He will not force us to serve Him. 
The son irresponsibly wasted what his father worked so hard to acquire over a lifetime in the matter of a few months. In, a, in the matter, in a, in the, just like that, he wasted everything his father had worked so hard for and given him. Yet when the son comes back home, he doesn't hold it against him. He runs out to greet him. He throws his arms around him and hugs him and gives him a kiss. The son that told him that he wished he were dead, the one that foolishly squandered all of his father's money, the one that bought drugs and prostitutes with his father's hard-earned money, that one. He went out and embraced him. He kissed him. He embraced him as a son, not, not as someone that had uh, betrayed him and offended him and that he was angry with him, but he embraced him as, as his son. He throws him a feast for the ages. I'm talking about a spread. I'm talking about steak, lobster, uh, rolls and honey butter, uh, every single type of cake and flavor of ice cream you can think of, mashed potatoes and gravy, uh, corn, corn on the cob, whatever your favorite food you could think of, what, what, whatever you, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, whatever, whatever it is, that comfort food, his father set it out on the table and had an all-out party for his son when he came back. The son deserved to be sent right back to the pig fields. He, he deserved for his father to slap him in the face and say, I told you so. At the very best, he should have been hired on as a servant to pay his father back, yet his father didn't give him what he deserved. If the father in this story represents our heavenly father and the word prodigal means lavish, reckless, extravagant, luxuriant spender, then I would say that we have a prodigal God. He lavishly extends forgiveness towards us through His Son, Jesus. He, he recklessly holds back the punishment that we deserve. He luxuriantly pours out His grace upon our lives. He extravagantly shows mercy on us. He forgave His Son even though His Son absolutely did not deserve to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a powerful, powerful thing. The reason many people don't grow in their relationship with Jesus is that they have unforgiveness in their heart towards others. The reason people choose not to forgive others is because they don't see themselves as very bad people. They aren't grateful enough for what Christ has forgiven them for. The father didn't even bring up what the son did in the initial contact he had with him. His father had long forgiven his son before he ever saw him. You could tell by his reaction. You know, I received a letter from someone a few years ago telling me that uh, they had been carrying unforgiveness in their heart towards me because of, uh, of something I had done to them. And, and the honest truth is, is that I hadn't thought about this person. In fact, I didn't even know I had hurt this person, yet they were carrying this weight around everywhere they went. They were carrying this burden around until this person finally, in that letter, they said, that they had, had forgiven me for what I had done to them and they had received freedom and they had received uh, that weight that, that came off of them from the burden of unforgiveness they were carrying. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness 
of God. We all deserve to spend eternity in hell separated from God because of our sin. Yet God put our punishment on Jesus so that he could take what we deserve. Wow, what a good father on this Father's Day. Can we just thank God for our Heavenly Father, the greatest Father, for what He did. He put on His Son what should have been put on us. The weight that we could not carry because of our sin, He placed that weight on His Son. Wow. If that doesn't make you want to jump for joy and follow Jesus, then you need your pulse checked. Not everyone in this story was happy about what was taking place, though. Not everyone will be happy about what God is doing in your life. The people that should be the happiest are oftentimes the most resentful towards what God is doing in your life. You know, when we told people five years ago that we were going to move from Texas to New York City, not everybody was happy for us. There were some people that told us, oh, you won't make it there. You're not going to make it in New York City. It's too hard over there. You're going to be away from family. You're not going to make it. I had a man that has a high-level position in the most influential church-planting organization in New York City tell me that I have a 10% chance of succeeding. He said, you're probably going to fail. You're probably not going to make it. You, you have no clue what you're doing. you got a 10% chance you're going to make it. Not everybody's going to jump for joy. Not everybody's going to throw you a party when you tell them what God is calling you to do or when you come back home, sadly. Let's continue on in the story, verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Who was Jesus primarily directing this parable towards? I always thought he was directing it towards the prodigal sons and daughters out there that were living a sinful, wicked life until I read the book Prodigal God and the author reveals who the story was really directed towards. At the beginning of Luke 15, it says that all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. And this ticked off the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of Jesus's day. So because of the grumbling, the murmuring, uh, the complaining of the religious church-going, scripture-memorizing, church-attending people, he launched into three parables directed at them. The reality is that Jesus was surrounded by a bunch of elder brothers. Jesus was challenging the attitude of the Pharisees. He was exposing the motives of the heart of the Pharisee. He was challenging the way they walked out the scriptures. When the father said that my youngest son matters, the elder brother looked at him and said, all sons matter. They had what I call 
the Pharisees and the, the, the religious people surrounding Jesus that day, they had what I call the elder brother syndrome. This syndrome is when you feel like you deserve favoritism from God because of your good behavior, and, and you feel like others deserve judgment from God because of their bad behavior. So I want to give you three symptoms of the elder brother symptom, uh, or syndrome. Sorry, Number one, self-righteousness. That's the first symptom. When we read this story, we always think of the one lost son, the younger son that left home to party it up. But the truth is that both the elder son and the younger son were both lost. The younger son was lost because of his sinful outward actions. The elder son was lost because of his sinful inward actions. The sin of the younger brother was in his bad deeds. The sin of the elder brother was pride in his good deeds. People with the elder brother syndrome want grace and mercy and forgiveness for their sins, their mistakes, their flops, yet they want to bring the hammer down on others when they fail. Elder brothers would never admit this, but their righteousness or their being right with God is, is not based on faith through grace, but based on their good works, based on their ability to earn it. Their identity is in what they do, not in what Jesus has done for them. Do you feel like God owes you an answer to prayer because you have faithfully served him? Do you blame God when something you are asking for doesn't happen? When you don't receive your healing or you don't receive your promotion? Do you blame God because these, these could be symptoms that you have uh, a bit of self-righteousness in you and, you, and, and you're earning your salvation, you're, earning your, you're trying to earn your favor with God? If Jesus is the only reason that we are righteous, then anything good that happens in our lives is a blessing and anything bad that happens in our lives is an opportunity to grow and trust God more. The second symptom of the elder brother syndrome is self-centeredness. When the elder brother heard the commotion of the party for his bro younger brother, he didn't even inquire about whether his brother was okay or not. He didn't even say, is he okay? Has he been hurt? Is there anything wrong with him? He didn't even inquire about any of that. He immediately made it about himself. He complained to his father that he always followed the rules and he always did what he was told, but he never had anything special done for him. He lost sight of the fact that his brother could have been dead or badly beaten or, or a, a host of things. When we have the elder brother syndrome, we lose the ability to empathize with others because we are so upset over the fact that our good deeds aren't being noticed, and they're not earning us more favor than we think they should? Do we obey in order to feel accepted by God, or do we obey because we are accepted by God? That, there's a huge, huge difference there. One is steeped in self-righteousness, while the other is steeped in, in humility and gratefulness. Elder brothers obey God to get something from Him. While true sons and daughters of God obey him out of gratitude for what Jesus did for them. The third symptom of the elder brother syndrome is self-consciousness. Verse 30 says, But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Elder brothers are very self-conscious 
because they don't want to be seen with people that would do things they feel like they're above, right? That's why the Pharisees were so irate at the fact that Jesus would hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, and he would he would go into the homes of, of people that had a, a bad reputation, and, and this just rubbed the Pharisees the wrong way and just absolutely made them angry and upset. They want to portray a perfect image because they believe that they have to earn God's love by being the perfect saint. They look down on sinful people instead of looking with compassion on them. They want everyone to be impressed by how well they pray. They don't want to get involved with anyone's messes because that's beneath them. The elder brother would not even identify with his brother. As he was talking to his father, he said, this son of yours. He wouldn't even identify that this was his brother that was lost, that might have been dead, that might have been deeply injured and hurt. He he said, "This, this son of yours, not my brother. You can tell when Priscilla is mad at Boston because she will say something along the lines of, Steve, tell your son he needs to pick up his room or, Steve, tell you need to talk to your son because he's not listening to me. It's funny because I guess when he's not listening to her, he's my son. But when he gets the Fruit of the Spirit Award at school or gets, gets or does something good, he's her son. Anyways, we'll move on. So we've talked about the younger brother and the older brother and the gracious father, but we are missing one character from the story. The leading role is missing from the play. The star actor is missing from the film. The MVP is missing from the game. It's the true elder brother, and that would be Jesus. Jesus, our true elder brother, doesn't keep us from the Father, but provides a way into the Father's presence. It was him that says, that said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The true elder brother does not keep us from the Father. He doesn't get angry when When we embrace the Father, He makes a way for us to get to the Father. The true elder brother isn't angry with us. He actually goes out while we are living in sin and tries to bring us back to the Father's house. Jesus connects us to the Father where there was a wedge, a barrier, a wall because of sin. Christ destroyed the wall that separated us from the Father through His death and His resurrection. Let me end by sharing this scripture with you from Romans chapter 8, starting with verse number 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering in order that we may also share in His glory. Church, the beautiful thing about our Heavenly Father is that we were once enslaved to sin. We were in bondage and in prison because of our sin, because of the choices that we've made, because of the decisions that we make, because we have had attitudes 
and heart conditions that are hostile to God. We, we, were, we were once enslaved, but when Christ comes into our heart, he frees us from that slavery. He frees us from that bondage. He breaks open those prison doors. And the Bible says that we become sons and daughters, that, that we have access to the Father, where we, we call him Abba, Father, which was, which was an intimate, intimate uh, uh, terminology in the, in, in the original language for Father. And we have that access where, 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 where we can call, where he's not just Father or Sir, but he's our dad. He, he's, he's our loving dad in whom we have intimacy. My heart for you is on this Father's Day is that if you're not connected to the Heavenly Father, that today, that you, that you would connect with Him, that you would be in relationship with Him. And, and maybe you are watching today and you used to be in relationship with the Father, but, but you asked for your inheritance early and you went out and, and, you, and you walked away from the Father's house and you've lived in sin, you've lived in your own way, and you've done your own thing, but today you realize that, man, it's so much better in my father's house than, than, than trying to do things my own way. I've jacked up my life. I'm so far from God. I'm so depressed. I'm so down. I'm so empty. I'm so dissatisfied with life. I'm not walking with purpose. I want you to know that the Father is waiting for you. And as you come back to the Father's house, He will not wait till you get there. He will be running after, He will be running towards you to embrace you, and He'll give you a kiss. And he'll throw you a feast. And so today, if you are a prodigal son or daughter, my prayer is that you come back today. Come back to the Father's house. He's waiting for you. He's waiting to throw you the biggest feast you've ever had. I want to encourage you to come back. Connect with the Father on this Father's Day. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.